Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're looking at verses 17 to 25. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 to 25. Our Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we come to the reading and preaching of your word, you would, you would bless us, that you would nourish your church, that you would strengthen us, that you would bring us yet again to repentance over our sins, areas where we have not done as we We ought to have in obedience to your word in in areas of neglect, areas of commission. Lord, we pray that you would would help us to recognize those areas in our lives through your word, uh, that we would repent and yet again trust in Christ, that we would trust your promises uh, for us, that you would help us to believe everything that we hear in your word. Give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a quote earlier this week which said, It's amazing that two preachers can take the same text and deliver faithfully different sermons. And that is an amazing thing. But maybe more amazing is the same preacher taking the same text and delivering two faithfully different sermons. That's what I'm going to attempt to do this morning. So if you looked at the text and thought, well, this must be a misprint. I've already heard a couple people say that. This must be a typo. No, it's not a a typo. I did preach on this passage last week, and I'm preaching the same text. So last week, uh, I pointed out the main theme of these verses which is that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those uh, who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's the broad theme, that's the main theme there. But I think it's worth pausing in this passage to consider something more, especially considering where we are in the life of our church. We are a young church plant. We are still finding our legs, still figuring out what it means to walk on our own. So I want us to consider Paul's ministry here in these verses. And particularly, I want us to consider what it is that drove Paul. What is it that drove Paul to preach the gospel? What is it that that gave him the commitment that he had and the passion that he had to fulfill his calling of preaching Christ crucified? To live with this single-minded purpose of giving glory to Christ by spreading the news of Jesus to anyone and everyone who would hear. This week I read a satirical article, so it's satire, it's uh, a biting, it's it's a fake uh, newsletter intended to cause us to stir within and think on our own. Hmm, is this true of me? So I read this satirical article that hit pretty close to home. It was titled, Local Reformed Elaborate Theology of Evangelism Entirely Theoretical. So maybe you caught that. Local Reformed Persons Elaborate Theology of Evangelism Entirely Theoretical. So one quote from the, this article. People totally misunderstand the Reformed faith as if salvation of sinners happened in a vacuum with no God-ordained means used in bringing them to Christ. Said the Reformed man whose sources confirmed has not witnessed to a single person in the last five years. Well, Paul did not take a merely theoretical approach to preaching the gospel and to sharing Christ crucified. His theology did not remain abstract. Rather, 
It got to work day in and day out for the sake of the gospel. We know Paul's passion for preaching Christ throughout the New Testament letters. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to see Paul's unwavering commitment, his passion to fulfill the calling which he had received. I want us to see these things and be stirred up in our own hearts, to be stirred up in our own callings and our own giftings for the sake of the gospel. I want us to be served up, uh, stirred up in serving others and giving witness to Christ for the glory of God. So look at our text with me, 1 Corinthians 1, 17 to 25. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. May God add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word. If you hang around someone who has the flu, eventually you're going to catch the flu. And if you hang around someone who is passionate about the gospel... It will eventually rub off on you. So I want us to catch Paul's passion for proclaiming Christ crucified for sinners. I have to confess to you, I don't feel like I've done a particularly good job of modeling this for you in my first year of ministry. I want to grow in this, in this area in particular. I want to be a model for you in evangelism, in being diligent to engage others, Uh, In conversations about Christ, I want to be a model for you in inviting those who aren't Christians to the church. And so, in lieu of my lack of a model, let's follow Paul in this. Let's look at Paul and let him lead us in this. And may God fill us with his spirit to proclaim Christ with eagerness and with boldness and with joy for the glory of God. So here's what I think motivated Paul and made him so passionate To fulfill his ministry. First he had the greatest master. Second he had the greatest mission. And third he had the greatest message. Master, mission, and message. So who was it who sent Paul to preach the gospel? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll remember verse 1 of this chapter. 1 Corinthians 1.1 Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And here in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. We've talked about this before in our first sermon on Corinthians. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it wasn't Paul's idea to be Jesus' messenger. It was Jesus' idea. It wasn't Paul's will uh, originally to preach the gospel, to be his messenger. It was God's will. Jesus made Paul an apostle, one who is sent out as a messenger with the authority of Jesus himself. 
In Galatians 1.1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And over and over again throughout the New Testament letters, throughout Paul's letters, in the introductions, he identifies himself as an apostle, as one who has been called and sent out by the will of God. In 2 Timothy 2, he instructs Timothy, his son in the faith, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Paul's ministry flowed from the fact that he had been called by and sent out by the greatest master anyone could have, by the Lord Jesus Christ. He was eager because of the one who called him and the one who sent him out. He was passionate because of the master who had given him a mission. Over the years, throughout my working life, I've had some good bosses and I've had some bad bosses. You probably have too. And it makes a big difference, doesn't it? On how you work, on how you go about your, your job, on how you go about your business. I remember one in particular I had no confidence in at all. He tried, but he just couldn't do it. He wasn't a good manager. He wasn't good at what he did. And that affected, it shouldn't have, but that affected how I did my work. I would walk around grumbling because I felt like the things I had to do weren't of any value. They weren't important. They wouldn't make any difference. I had no confidence in the one who had sent me. And somehow it seems like we've gotten in our minds the same idea when it comes to our master, Jesus Christ. For he has called us and sent us as well. Christ has called us into the family of God. He has called us who are believers into his church. And he has sent us out as witnesses of Christ, as ambassadors for Christ, to proclaim the gospel and to serve our neighbors. And how well are we doing that? With what sort of attitude are we doing that? Are we guilty of acting as though Jesus were an unfit and incompetent boss? You know, how could we not pursue our tasks for God's glory with zeal and passion? Knowing that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who has called us into his service. Knowing it's Christ himself who is our Lord and Master. And so Paul commands slaves in the New Testament, Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Christian poet Ruth Harns Kalkin wrote, You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. And how you answer that question reveals 
something about who your true master is. If your master is the applause and praise of people, then you will never be passionate in serving the Lord. Why would you? He's not even your master. If your master are the things of this world, you will go about your life serving them with joy and passion. But if you have it firmly fixed in your mind that you have been called by Christ, that you've been sent out by Christ, that He's your master, then you will rid yourself of the other things which entangle you and pursue the calling that your master has given you. You'll do anything to please Him. Especially when you realize the task He has given to the church. When you realize the mission He has given to us. As Paul had the greatest master, but he was also given the greatest mission. This is the mission of the church. And this mission was to rescue the perishing, to save sinners from death and hell. Verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. In verse 21, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, he says in Romans 1, because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And in Romans 9, we see Paul's great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart over ethnic Israel. He says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. Consider that passion of Paul, his heart for those of ethnic Israel. He says, I could... Wish that I were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people. Now, of course, ultimately, this is the mission of Christ, to save sinners. The saving belongs to Jesus. In His work alone. His is the ultimate work. Ours is simply a work of pointing others to His saving work. Of proclaiming His saving work. But don't forget Paul's argument in Romans 10. It is through the proclamation of the gospel that people are saved by the work of Christ, through faith in his work. So Paul asks, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Christ is fulfilling his mission by extension through the proclamation of this message of his work. So Paul's mission is to proclaim the gospel in order that God might bring all of his flock into the fold. That he might bring all that he has chosen into the family. Paul's mission, his aim, his joy, his goal is to see sinners saved. And what greater mission in life could there be than this? Can you think of a greater mission than to see sinners saved? Those who are on their way to hell, rescued and brought into the family of God. And don't we shouldn't be embarrassed by this biblical truth that sinners need to be saved. We might be tempted to write it off as a, a fundamentalist tent revival mantra, save sinners, but it's actually Bible terminology. So Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Later in this letter, Paul says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means possible, I might save some. And First Timothy 1, Paul says, here is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of 
whom I'm the worst. I don't have time to give the full argument this morning, but this mission has been given to the church in the words of the Great Commission. Jesus commanded his disciples to make uh, disciples by bringing them into the faith through baptism and teaching them to obey Jesus' command. And this mission extends in some ways to all of us who are in the church, who make up the church. None of us are apostles. Uh, We're not all pastors. We have different gifts. But we are members of the same body which together has this mission of making disciples. And as such, each of us has something to contribute in the building up of the church and the mission of the church. Each of us has the responsibility of giving witness of Christ, telling the gospel to others. So P.T. O'Brien has made a compelling case in his book, Gospel and Mission in the Writings of Paul. And his argument is basically that Paul expected Christians to imitate, at least in some way, Paul's missionary activity. Not that everyone would become a missionary in traveling from city to city, um, but and not, every, not that all would become pastors and proclaim the gospel, but that as, as individual church members, we would imitate his missionary impulse, his, his passion to preach the gospel, his passion to give witness to Christ, that we would desire to see people saved and come to faith in Christ. So what would it look like if that were the case? What would it look like if we began to see ourselves not simply as church members, but as missionaries to the world around us, as ambassadors of Christ telling the world of the Savior? What would it look like, for instance, if you actively looked for opportunities to build relationships with unbelievers in your neighborhoods, on your kids' sports teams, in your workplace? What would it look like if each of us actively prayed for regular opportunities to have spiritual conversations day in and day out if we tried every week to invite unbelievers to church? You know, this is, if we want to be faithful, especially as a church plant, this is where we need to be going. This is the impulse we need to have. This is the kind of attitude I want for myself and the kind of culture I want for our church. But it will take an unwavering commitment and a single-mindedness about the mission. We have to make sure that we do not let other things or other ministries take priority or bump aside this proclamation of the gospel. So for Paul, it, it means that he was sent not so much to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And it's not that we don't do anything else. We should be devoted to to ministries of of mercy and fellowship and growing one another, teaching one another to obey all that Christ has commanded us. Worship is our highest and greatest purpose. But even worship gives us a greater motivation for the mission because we want to see more people glorify and enjoy God. We want more to worship Him. And so we must be about this mission. And we can't succumb to scratching, itching ears either. Paul recognized that generally, Jews and Gentiles didn't want the message of Christ crucified for sinners. They wanted signs. They wanted wonders. They wanted wisdom. They wanted worldly power and prestige. And similarly, most of the people in our culture aren't asking the question, how can I have my sins forgiven? How can I deal with 
all of the things I have done wrong. How can I be forgiven? They're, they're asking things like, how can I be happier at work? How can I be more successful? How can I make ends meet paycheck to paycheck? How can I raise successful, happy kids? Or they're searching for moral lessons on how to be a better you or how to have fulfillment in this life. People want to be inspired to live to their fullest potential. They're not asking, how can I be saved? Now, the Bible has some things to teach us in each of these areas, but ultimately, this is not what we're called to give. We must preach Christ crucified for sinners as our our greatest aim and desire. We have to be unwaveringly committed to this message because it's the greatest message. This, too, is what Paul was thinking and what motivated him and what gave him the passion to give all in service to his Lord. He had the greatest master, the greatest mission with the greatest message. So this mission is carried forward by the proclamation of the gospel. And the content of that message is Christ crucified for sinners. This is the message of the cross. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And in chapter 2, Paul says, I did not come to you with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. So what does it mean that the content of the message, this greatest message, is Christ crucified? Well, it doesn't mean that that's all we can ever talk about is Christ's crucifixion. In our church's teaching and preaching, we aim to preach and teach the whole counsel of God. From Genesis to Revelation, there are plenty of other doctrines we have to talk about and we should talk about. And think about, even if we limit our discussions to Christ, we must also talk about His identity as as fully God and fully man, about His miraculous conception, about His perfect life, His resurrection, about His ascension, about His current activity for His people as prophet, priest, and king. But what Paul means is this. He knew that the only way God's elect would be gathered in, the only way sinners would turn away from their sin and trust in Christ is if he preached Christ crucified for sinners. If he preached that Jesus had died on the cross in the place of sinners, as one who stood in the gap for those who deserved God's penalty and wrath as a substitute for sinners in my place. There's a stirring scene in uh, the first of the three books in the Hunger Games trilogy. So in the society of this dystopian novel, each of the 12 regions are forced by the government to offer one tribute chosen by lottery to participate in the Hunger Games. What are the Hunger Games? Uh, Think of the reality show Survival, but with the added twist that the other contestants are trying to kill you. Pretty scary. The last surviving person wins. And so the residents of District 12 stand in horrified silence as their tribute from their community is announced. It's a girl named Primrose Everdeen. And her frame is like her name, delicate and frail. And everyone knows she's in trouble, that she won't last long. But as she approaches the stage where she'll be announced as the tribute, she hears someone else shuffling through the crowd. 
she hears a desperate voice. I volunteer. I volunteer as a tribute. And it was her older sister, Katniss Everdeen, has volunteered to take her place. And Prim goes back into the crowd and Katniss Everdeen enters into the Hunger Games in her place. And as I read that several years ago, as I watched the movie, it's amazing how much we can be moved by simply reading or watching a movie. We can be moved to laughter. We can be moved to terror. We can even be moved to tears by reading or watching stories that aren't even true. Fictional stories. But friends, what we have in the gospel is no fiction. And it's greater than any other story we could imagine when it comes to someone taking the place of someone else. This is the truth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, volunteered Himself to take the place of sinners. But ours wasn't just a possibility that we might have to enter into some death contest or the possibility of dying. Our death was guaranteed as a punishment for our sins. But Jesus, as He was lifted up on the cross, took my place and if you are in Christ he took your place he offered himself up in your place and you if you will place your faith in him his substitution will count for you as well you will be able to claim with anyone else you'll be able to claim he died for my sins he took my place This is the message of the cross Paul preached. And it is no fiction. This is as real as it gets. And brothers and sisters, this is the message we have. This is the message we have. Christ crucified for sinners. The greatest message we could ever imagine. So let me ask you a question, particularly of uh, CCR members. Would you be content... If we grew numerically in the next year or so, so that we were up to 200 people every week, but all of our growth came from transfers or from other gospel-believing churches, would you be okay with that? Or what about if after another year we were up to 60 or 70 a week, and all of our new additions were people who had never been to church before, were people who had never heard the gospel, had never believed the gospel, and they came to faith through our witnessing to them about Christ, sharing the gospel. I can tell you pretty quickly which one I would prefer. In fact, I'd be okay with us shrinking as a church while we're eagerly and zealously proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family members. I'd rather have that then grow tremendously as we sell out to gimmicks or to something other than faithfully pursuing the mission God has given us. But how will people come into the family of God unless they believe Christ was crucified for their sins? And how will they believe in Him if they don't hear about Him? And how will they hear about Him if no one goes to them and tells them the message? And how will someone tell them if they are not sent? Well, friends, Christ has sent us. 
He has sent us as a church and as members of his church to spread far and wide this message of the cross, of Christ crucified for sinners. And we can do it expectantly. We know that God will use our witness to add people to the family of God. All kinds of people, men and women, senior adults, young adults, teenagers, people with white skin and with brown skin and black skin, people from high class, low class, and everything in between, people who like rock music, people who like rap, people who like country, people wearing suits, people with tattoo sleeves, piercings. Let's catch a passion for sharing the gospel of Christ, for the the passion that Paul had, for all people submitting ourselves and our own preferences and desires so that by any means possible, others might be saved through faith in Jesus Christ who was crucified for sinners. So Christ's work is the ultimate work, and ours is simply getting others to see and savor His work. So ours is the work portrayed in the center panel of the piece of art called the Eisenheim altarpiece. It's a horrific scene of Christ's crucifixion. Jesus is hanging on the cross, his body contorted in pain as nails pin him to the cross. Blood is flowing from his hands, his head, his side, his feet. And beside him, just off to the side, is John the Baptist who is holding a book in one hand and with the other hand he is simply pointing to the crucified Christ. This is our task. This is our aim. Not that others would see us and our greatness as a church, not simply that our community would be enriched by our presence here, but to preach Christ, to give witness of Christ and Him crucified so that the world might know his saving love, so that Rollsville, Wake Forest, Raleigh might know the saving love of Christ who was crucified for sinners. As we close, I just want us to pause uh, for a moment of reflection. And Michael's going to come and lead us in a song. But just for a, a period of time, pause and, and contemplate God's word here to us and this passion of spreading the gospel. Pause in a moment of prayer and reflect on his word.